0: While the Monocle Weekly takes a temporary break, we're still bringing you interviews with some of the leading lights in arts and culture from around the world. Today, Monocle's Fernando Augusto Pacheco talks to Donny Bonet, an Australian singer whose new album, Mr Experience, has been described as the soundtrack to a dinner party in the late 1980s. Very much Fernando's cup of tea.
1: Johnny Venet, pleasure having you here on Monaco 24. I have to say, I love your music, so it's lovely talking to you. But first of all, for those who perhaps don't know much about your career, how would you describe your music? Because it's such a lovely mix of genres.
2: Um, oh, that's, that's always the hardest question, but um, I'll try my best. Um, for me, I guess it's kind of like, this is a very generalized description, but it's fun. There's lots of elements, yacht rock, disco, funk, kind of blended them. They're all my favorite kinds of music. And just blended them into something that um, I enjoy performing and and writing for. So, and usually people that come to shows have a lot of fun.
1: I adore Italo Disco. And I was reading, is it true that your father was somehow involved with the movement?
2: (laughs) (laughs) I come from a family of musicians. I come from the era of MySpace, the very beginning. And everybody would have a very ironic bio. And that was my ironic bio. And it stuck. It's half true because I do have a father who was a musician. My grandfather was a piano accordionist as well. I did play piano accordion myself. And, um, yeah, so it's... He wasn't a pioneer of a disco accordion, but... He was involved in music quite a lot. And it's interesting, I mean, again, your
1: music could be described as ironic as well. But funnily enough, I don't read sometimes all the irony because I actually love the beat. Do you think your new work, Mr Experience, perhaps there's a little bit less of this irony and maybe kind of other elements to your music as well?
2: Definitely, yeah. Um, My first album started off back in 2011, which was called Don't Hold Back. Very uh, improvised and there was a lot of irony in the character because, you know, around the time I was uh, like this balding middle-aged guy in a uh, music scene that was full of kind of like really beautiful looking male dreamy shoegaze singers. And uh, so that was the ironic part there and it seemed quite funny for someone like me to be singing, you know, songs about love and romance. And uh, over the years, it's kind of evolved. Um, I'm still very much, I don't take myself too seriously as in that I can, I'd like to laugh at myself, but the music's always been a very serious element. And um, by the time I've gotten to Mr. Experience, it is a lot more, I think there is actually, the irony somewhat has dropped, but there's, I think, some more beautiful messages in it that I feel, like I felt that it would be hard to continue down this path of ironic, satirical music there's still elements of that there and i think it's quite clever to try and weave that in your music because i think music and humor are two things that mix well but the music's always got to be very serious and uh as you mentioned like I, I take the i'm a bass player by trade that's for kind of my main strength and um bass lines and the drum patterns that i program are very much the focal point of the music so it steers it away a bit from that ironic satirical point he's
0: the guy.
1: When I'm listening to Mr. Experience, your your new album, it, it's very funny because it seems like it's made for a dinner party set in the 80s, I mean, with all the synthesizers. Was that your intention as well? Is that where you want
2: to take us? It's almost like escapist place. For me, I try and make the music escapist because um, I have big plans and big dreams in my head and I want to kind of uh, get everybody dreaming and, and thinking as well in that way. But with this album, um, I was not struggling with the theme, but after the dawn, I had songs like Santorini and though For me, they were pretty big songs and they're very hard songs to top. The Don, the album kind of had a theme as well. It was this brash guy in his mid-30s It was a bit of a Casanova and, you know. And the Don was, I'm heading towards 40, so the Don was something I had to be able to perform as a 40-year-old every night and be happy with it. So um, I kind of headed in that direction. And then I started listening a lot to artists like Robert Palmer and Brian Ferry and uh, Todd Rundgren as well. And they were kind of this very sophisticated 40-year-old. I felt like and there was one Brian Ferry album in particular from about 1986 that it just it seemed so unpopular. I couldn't think of any setting that anyone would listen to besides being like an Upper East Side um, dinner party full of intellectuals or something like that. So I thought that's cool. Like, And I was talking to a friend saying, I really like this Brian Ferry album, but man, like, he must have sold very, very small amount of copies of it. But I'm really into it. And my friend's like, yeah, that's great. You know, I was like, it's something you'd play at a dinner party. So once that kind of idea got in my head, I was like, well, yeah, like I'm that age. I have, I have dinner parties with my friends. You know, we come over, we don't get blind drunk, but we have a bit of conversation, a bit of fun, you know? So I thought that would be a good setting to kind of uh, explore.
1: I think your music, for some reason, from what I know from that country, but it would work very well in Japan for some reason. I think they love a little bit city pop and kind of quite charming as well in a way. So would you say so? Do you have many fans in
2: Japan? Well, funnily enough, I adore Japan. I think I've been there five or six times. Um, One of my closest friends, I went to um, university with, and he's now based in Tokyo, he's a jazz musician. And uh, I just love going there and, and... There's a really famous record shop there and I got this email the other day basically um, from this company saying they'd like to release Konnichiwa on the 7-inch and I just got so excited (laughs) which means that Japan's one of those places where like you can't say I want to come and play in Japan, you have to wait to be asked and I think that I've been given the key to the city so I'm really, really, really excited about it so I I can't wait. (laughs)
1: That's fantastic. Uh, and Donnie as well, I mean, as a musician, of course, your new album is out now. But, you know, you were supposed to be in Europe, you know, performing. How mm-hmm. did COVID-19 affected uh, you as a musician? Because. It is difficult times, I mean, because a lot of people, live performances are so important for the music industry and, and maybe yeah, for yeah. yourself as
2: well. Yeah, it's funny. I had this huge year planned and I was, of course, devastated. There was lots of artists much larger than me in the same position. I, I really admire uh, Thundercat and uh, I think he did one show and he had this massive tour that was going to sell out through the US and he did one show and that's it. I had to pull the plug. And I know like bands like Tame and Parler, I don't even think, got to do a show, so there's like effective performers in that way and releasing a record might seem a bit crazy to do when you can't tour it. But in my mind, I'd built up this momentum by touring the last few years and to kind of all of a sudden pull the plug and wait till we can go out and tour again, would just absolutely kill all the momentum. And also there's, you know, I think people are very starved for new music at the moment. So I've got ahead with it and um, I hope we can tour when we can, when we can tour next year. Um, I was doing some live stream Instagram concerts just to stay connected to fans and, and also that helped promote the new record coming up. So if anything, in a bizarre way, COVID has built my audience. Probably not as much as it would have had I been on tour, but you have to make lemons with lemonade. But uh, I know it's funny, I was speaking to some, um, it's you know, pretty devastating also for all the other behind the scenes people in the music industry, sound engineers, stagehands, venues, and that's all starting to slowly sink in. So, yeah, it's going to be a long haul, I think. And I'm also pretty burnt out from... I don't think I could write another album at the moment. That's probably the last thing. I'm really itching to get out and uh, perform. One thing we're going to do is record and video a live uh, performance of the new album because fans in Europe and America were not going to see them for a while. So I've been starting to plan that. And I was playing the new album last night. I was practicing it with the bass guitar and singing and I was just getting so excited. So... I I really can't wait to get up and play again.
1: Let's talk about the album. I mean, it's full of excellent tracks. Of course, the, the first one, Mr. Experience. But I also love, funnily enough, I don't like Negroni's, but I love Negroni Summer. <laughs> it's such a cool track. So tell us, do you have any, any favorite track from the
2: album? Yeah, well, Negroni Summer is one of my favorites. Funnily enough, that was one of the hardest ones to write because how I composed with the instrumental first, I usually start from the bass guitar and the drum patterns and build up from that. And so in the groggy summer, I'd written this track, and it sounded like Michael McDonald or Steely Dan. I was like, "Yes, this is like—it's <laughs> not a rip-off, but it's like you know." It's, and and I, this song would be so fun to play live. But um, it took so long for me to get the um, the lyrics and the content of the song. I kept on putting it aside, and I'll, I'll come back to it. I knew that I had it in the bank. So when I got to the last stage of writing, um, I kind of had to get this song done and. I think it had about four or five different sets of lyrics to it, which is really weird. Um, not because the other lyrics were bad, but they were too similar to the songs I'd written before. And I was really trying hard to not repeat myself from albums like the Dawn. So, But they turned out great. And um, the uh, instrumental waterfall, the last one, I love that. That wrote itself in about half an hour. And um, there was this weird moment where I was thinking if it was it was 2020, and somebody released a new record and it had a huge fretless bass solo. I would think that, that would be a really huge move. And so I was like, well, why don't I do that? I can be the guy that puts the fretless bass solo on an album in 2020. So that was really exciting for me to kind of have the, the courage and the conviction to kind of put my money where my mouth is and go, you know what, here's the last track. It's an instrumental. It's almost like a, um, a, a love scene kind of song. Them. I mean, I I really liked One Night in Paradise. Um, you don't need Love's one of my favourites. Um, that came from um, I played a show in Hamburg. I went for a little walk afterwards along the shore, along the um, water, and there was like a bar and there were these two German guys closing up, and they had um, self-controlled the Laura Branigan cover, the real Italo disco one with that bass. And you know, they're like typical German guys. They were like sitting there smoking and was like, "Yeah, this is cool," because I was near the water and it was was kind of reverberating everywhere. And it just sounded so good. I was like, man, that's such a good song. Just that whole, that real Italo sound. And and I didn't purposely go out to write a song like that, but started to write One Night in Paradise and it sounded, it reminded me of um, self-control. I was like, that's kind of cool. So, That's um, a good yeah. comparison. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, I mean, the, the, I always try and write, I'm very, very particular with um, how I'm, I go about composing and putting songs on the album. So I, I think I wrote about 35 to 40 tracks for this album and 30 of them ended up in a reject folder. And reason being is that I, I have to play it every night at a show. So like the tour I'd be on at the moment, I think it was uh, 14 shows in 16 days. So when you're touring that, in, when it's that intense, if you've got some kind of bum songs in your set, you really get sick of them quickly. So that was one of the first criteria was like, I have to play these songs every night. And the second one was like, would I want to hear this song? So I actually like Listening to the album at the moment. So it's really good, Um, which I think being that picky in particular lends itself to that.
1: What I love about your music, I mean, you're also a very kind of visual artist. I mean, you have amazing video clips and a great dress sense. I mean, our listeners can't see you, but, you know,
2: (laughs) it's very cool. I mean, there's an effortless cool in there as well. (laughs) I'm very lucky with my videos. Um, I uh, work with a lot of great directors. One thing I've learned about myself being, you know, a creative is that it's always hard when somebody has an idea in their head and they want you to execute that idea, but you never quite hit the mark because you don't, you know, you don't know what they're thinking. So when it comes to video clips, I, and I learned this very quickly. um, One of the first clips I did sophisticated lover, I had no idea. I just, somebody picked me up at 5am on a Saturday morning and the clip just told me what to do. And so from that, I learned whenever you, you work with a director that you really admire and then just say, look, I give them the song and I say, just, give me a treatment, go to town, whatever you want to do. And I just try not to get involved too much in the creative process because it clouds their vision. Of course, there's like um, elements where I'll improvise or have to act in them, but I'm just lucky. Like they do such fantastic jobs. Like Alex Smith is the director. I worked quite a lot, um, who did Konnichiwa, Girl of My Dreams, Second Dinner, and also another track with, um, Kieran J. Callanan, which is called The Edge. And, um, they just look fantastic so very very lucky to have great people to work with
1: listen donnie it's been a pleasure talking to you thank you so much for chatting
2: thanks for having me fernando
0: Our thanks to Donny Bonet and of course to Fernando Augusto Pacheco and Donny's new album, Mr Experience, is out now. The Monocle Weekly is on a temporary break, but keep an eye on our website for interviews with leading figures from culture from around the world. I've been Augusta Macellari, our studio manager was May Lee Evans. Until next time, goodbye.